Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor Ankara. Well, no messing around. Awesome pod lined up. Bear Felica is going to join us in a little bit. He's going to provide some gambling advice ahead of the 2022 season mm-hmm. and stay for the Corso story. Trust me when I say that. We are uh, talking about the subject of fantasy football and figuring it out. And we're going to close with Lad of the Week. But fall camp is in full swing. So I thought, you know what? That'd be a good time to do some fall camp fact or fiction, which is like four F's, three F's, three F's. I can't really mm-hmm. count today. Um, pads are popping. Kind of, sort of, not really. They're, they're popping metaphorically speaking. They're not actually popping, but um, I do love fall camp and I do love some good fall camp storylines. They just make me smile. Even if they're so dumb and they mm-hmm. mean absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things, I love fall camp storylines because everybody's so excited and so optimistic. You don't get that same deal in spring because a lot of the, to borrow the phrase from Josh Pate, the casuals tune out in the spring. Oh, yeah. And to be 100% honest, I don't necessarily blame you if you're like, hey, I'm going to you know, I'm gonna focus on other things right now. I'm not, I can't get as, as fired up for the spring. But fall camp is just different. And, you know, it's, it's too bad that we don't get daily clips to overanalyze in college football like we do in the NFL. Yeah. Shout I out mean, to the, uh, the trash clip. Oh, gosh. I mean... <laughs> I don't get how that may even like hit the internet. Did the Bucks tweet that out? The yeah, Kyle Bucks tweeted that out. But yeah, so like that's that's the difference between the NFL and college this time of year. I mean, I don't know what the PFF account would do if they couldn't possibly just put out videos saying like who's going to stop this offense. Who's going to stop this duo talking about? Yeah, like, they number. do that on purpose now. I figured oh, that God. they just like, because like there's an obvious answer a lot of times that somebody will say it and get the engagement. And they're like, oh, good. We can count these as our numbers. I'm like, I didn't realize I followed uh, Bleacher Report on Twitter, but um, right. okay, I guess I am. Um, but anyways, uh, even Indiana though, even Indiana is installing this new offense and they didn't have a spring game because they didn't want people to get a head start or to oh, yeah. their offense, which... Goodness gracious. I, I'm I'm sure now, now that they're doing that and they're keeping everything under wraps, they're going to average better than 17 points a game. That's, yeah, that's, that's it right there. I'm glad you said that because I was just thinking there was a period of a smooth like eight to 10 years in the SEC where every team was trying to install a new age offense, like kind of as I was growing up, going through high school. And I mean, I just remember kind of being gaslit as an LSU fan because it was like, this is the year we're going to run more than two routes. This is the year. And like every fall camp, I would be like, okay, guys, don't worry. We got Steve Cragthorpe. We got Cam Cameron. We got this guy. We're going to put together this offense. It's going to be great. And I think like just now, like Todd Munkin's a great example. Like just now, these teams are starting to actually do that in fall camp. But buddy, you could have told me every year LSU was about to hire some NFL guy who is going to bring in the spread. And I was like, yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. We're going to average 40 this year. Like, it's funny to watch that 2013 uh, LSU Georgia game mm-hmm. and to listen the way that they talked about the Cam Cameron offense. Like he was reinventing the wheel with what he was trying to do. It's like, okay, you you have Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. You should throw the football more. Confirmed. Right. Some would yeah. say. And the best part is both of those teams kind of went backwards offensively from there. Like, well, too much throwing the ball here. We got to get out of it. They threw the ball pretty well in 2013, also. Oh, no, for mean, sure. That's what I'm saying. But then after that, both teams were just like, all right, buddy, that was fun. Shake it up. We're not. We're we're not throwing for another at least 10 years. True. Go listen to the Adjustment More podcast that we did. Mm-hmm. That was like right at the start of the pandemic, I want to say. Yeah, like right at the start of the pandemic, talking about that game. One of I, probably the favorite game of Aaron Murray's career. Yep. Um, shout out our guy, Aaron. Okay. 
So fall camp fact or fiction, that's what we're going to do. We're going to run through some storylines, some news, some things that we've seen happen out of fall camp, and then just kind of determine whether or not we should be taking them seriously or not so much. So first one, Jojo Earl, the Alabama receiver, his foot injury will have a significant impact on Alabama. I say fiction. It's a Jones fracture. Save it as a timetable, six to eight weeks. That puts us right around early October, which is really interesting because Alabama starts off October with Arkansas and AM. And that's mm-hmm. pivotal, obviously, for the SEC West. Not an ideal injury for somebody who uh, operates primarily out of the slot. I've never mm-hmm. been a slot receiver trying to come back from a Jones fracture, but I don't know that that's something I would be really crazy about. Um, as I've referenced, though, a couple of times, I think on this podcast, I think I brought up this this stat. Alabama has to replace one thousand one hundred thirty one slot snaps. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. That's that's a real big number. About half of those are from Slade Bolden, so kind of take that for what it is. But Matchie, Jameson Williams, they also operated out of the slot occasionally. And you've also got Julio Billingsley, Billingsley, Ajay Hall, Javon Baker. They're all gone via the transfer portal. So that's why that number is so high. And Earl was an intriguing candidate to kind of step in and be that slot guy. Bama's top three receivers are Tyler Harold, the transfer from Louisville, Jermaine Burton, obviously coming from Georgia, and then Ja'Cory Brooks, the four former IMG Academy kid who kind of broke out a little bit late last year. All of those guys operate mostly on the outside and they're not all of a sudden going to probably move over to the slot and play primarily there, which you need with the way that Alabama wants to run this offense. I'm sticking with fiction though, because I keep thinking back to spring. I am buying Christian Leary. I think he can become an X factor for this year's offense. Orlando native was Awesome in that spring game. He had the highlight of the day, that 52-yard go route that he caught from Jalen Milrow. This kid ran a 10-5 in the 100 as a a senior. Very, very fast. He can probably do a lot of the things that that Tyler Harrell can do, but he's not necessarily going to line up in the same sort of way. I I think that they're going to get behind some secondaries this year and look borderline unguardable in the way that Williams was. I don't think they're necessarily going to replace Williams automatically because Mm -hmm. it was a blitz and cough award finalist. He was really important for what they want to do. But I just think that Leary adds value. Not only is a sure-handed guy who can work the middle of the field, give Young a quick target behind a pretty questionable offensive line, but just having a slot guy that has that over the top ability with that speed is going to be a weapon. And even if Leary kind of isn't really the guy with Earl out, there's still more than enough firepower for Alabama to score 50 points in each of those September games. Yes, that includes Texas. Texas led up 31 points a game last year. I expect half a hundred to be put up in Austin that day. I think they're going to be cramping left and right, trying to keep up with Leary, trying to keep up with Harrell. So not dismissing the the potential of Earl, but I, I and I think Alabama does really need to find that reliable guy out of the slot. That's not a given, but I'm a Leary believer. I, I just don't think that we'll see a dip in production without Earl to start the season. So anybody that looked at that and said, oh, Alabama's going to be in trouble in their passing game. No, I don't think that's the case at all. Yeah, I think if you could think that Alabama like was in trouble with their passing game. Bryce Young saw it last year. Like whatever you could deal with as a quarterback, bad line, receivers getting hurt, receivers getting ejected for targeting. Mm. Uh, <laughs> some miscommunications with the snap, like all of that different stuff. He already has kind of proven he could do as a younger version of himself. So yeah, he's, I hate to say like mistake proof, but there's not, you could get any like SEC level talent out there and I'd still be buying Bryce Young. Whenever you say issues with the snap, I just think of the Sean McDonough call. Trouble with the snap. 
Mm-hmm. Michigan, Michigan State, of course, the mm-hmm. very famous 2015 game. Yeah, the punt. Yeah. Just an unbelievable play in the annals of college football history. Yes, I agree with you, though. Bryce Young, if there's ever a guy who can kind of you know, adjust to a situation like this, it's him. After what he did last year with a mid-year enrollee and James Williams and the way that they took off together, wouldn't necessarily worry about that connection. Okay, more interesting storyline, perhaps. What about this? Garrett Nussmeyer is going to win LSU's starting job. Fact or fiction? I'm going fiction. A lot of buzz about Garrett Nussmeyer this offseason. He was easily the best quarterback on that LSU roster in the spring game. Not any debate in my mind whatsoever. A guy who many, myself included, I sort of dismissed at the start of the offseason, thought he would be the odd man out. And he's now seeing significant first-team reps. Hester said on these airwaves about a month ago before fall camp started, hey, do not sleep on Brian Kelly rolling with Garrett Nussmeyer, using him like he's his version of Ian Book. Even with him dealing with this minor ankle injury, which kind of came up in the last couple of days here, uh, we've seen trusted people cover the team closely, like you know Brody Miller talk about that. Nussmeyer is firmly in the mix for a starting job, and I, I believe that. If you're getting first-team reps <laughs> second week of August, you've got a legitimate chance to be the starter. And I'll even say, as a Miles Brennan supporter, Miles Brennan's chance at QB1 is now dependent on an injury. It looks like that is in the rearview mirror based on everything that we've heard out of camp. It's Jaden Daniels versus Garrett Nussmeyer. I just give Daniels still the slight edge because I think Kelly is going to want to defer to a more experienced option who is perhaps better suited to operate behind a questionable offensive line. Again, we're just talking about week one. We're not necessarily saying mm-hmm. that Jaden Daniels is a lock to start every single game. Beyond that could be a different story. We'll see how that plays out. Even if Daniels kind of starts off as the guy, and this is what I've been saying for a while now, Brian Kelly having a few different places to turn is really nice for a year one coach instead of being locked into that one specific guy or being in a situation like what Brian Harson was in last year where it's like, crap, TJ Finley's banged up and I don't really have anybody that I can turn to at this point of the year. You've got a true freshman left tackle in Will Campbell who, look, LSU fans are really excited about. He's been getting some pretty rave reviews. But that's pretty telling about the uncertainty of that group up front. If you're, you've got a true freshman starting at left tackle in this league, I think Kelly defaults to experience. It, sorry, go ahead. I, I cut you off there. No, 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 not at all. I was just laughing. I think the Campbell's a player. I think him starting as a freshman's five. What you should be worried about is a left tackle converting and playing center in Dillinger. I think that's a little bit more. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> I think that's a little bit more. I agree with you. You're almost there. But yeah, I, I agree. I, I think Kelly will go with experience at quarterback. Because it's also maybe a little bit easier to go from Daniels to Nussmeyer as opposed to Nussmeyer to Daniels, I think at least. I don't know how Daniels would react to being on the bench and if he would be a guy soaking in everything and if he's going to be able to kind of absorb all of it as somebody who's starting as a freshman. I don't know that how he's wired in that way. Like I, I'm, I'm saying this, not that I'm doubting him, but I just don't know how he would be able to, to process a move like that. So I don't know that Kelly... Uh, decides that that's his best course of action. If he's getting swallowed whole and it's ugly, uh, Kelly's going to have a pretty easy decision. He's going to be able to feel confident that he can turn to Nussmeier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but go with a guy who's familiar uh, as opposed to maybe the first-time starter who got pretty limited reps last year. The multiple people that I talked to who followed Daniels at Arizona State 
they are still a believer that with the right surroundings, he can take off. And that mm-hmm. wasn't just Matt Barry as well. There's somebody else that I sought information from on that and said, no, I expect him to be the starter at LSU. Where do you stand on that right now? Um, yeah, I mean, I've I started joking about it and I, I do. Maybe I'm just a pessimist, but I feel like we're creating towards some version of a chief quarterback system because I think that does my role. I listen, <laughs> I want that less than you do. Trust me, buddy. But we're talking about week one here. Uh, I think that Nussmeyer has shown a lot in camp and in a way that I almost wish he hadn't because I like Daniels and I would rather just like you said, stick with Daniels and be like, okay, here's our guy. Win or lose. But I think that knowing that Daniels is kind of like you said, he's been a little bit mercurial. He's had some like questionable throw. Did you see the sickos index about Daniels? Oh no. Gosh, what did I miss? Oh, so the, 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 the sickos committee has now turned to a stats account and it's like the best stats you'll ever think of in your life. And there was like an entertainment factor that was like your touchdown percentage. I got storms coming in, by the way. So anybody that hears that in the background, everything's fine. We just got midsummer storms here in Orlando. Go ahead. Sorry about that. Oh yeah. You're good. That's, that's the downside living in Florida. Yeah. But uh, what was I going to say? Oh um, yeah. So they had, it was like touchdown percentage plus interception percentage. And he like led the country last year, like far and away. Electric. Yes. It was like, yeah, it was like watchability factor because you're just going to take bombs. So point being, he could be a guy that I could see maybe gets benched week one or something like that. I, I personally think you'll see both of them to answer your question. But the important part, like you said, is Miles Brennan, bless his heart. He put himself on the transfer portal. Brian Kelly came and pulled him right back out of it and said, son, you have a chance here. And looks like a younger guy and a better rated slash more athletic guy have just taken that from him. So I, is it too late for him to transfer? Could he get up out of here? He couldn't, you have to, you, you had to have transferred or been in the portal by that May 1st deadline to right. be able to play immediately this year. I don't know how that works with a six-year senior who doesn't have <laughs> any more eligibility. I would assume that it means that he can't transfer. Right. This is all still very new. I don't know if there are a ton of people who have been in that spot, but yeah, I don't think he'd be able to, to up and leave if, you know, finding out that he's not going to be the starter, but I can't sell my Miles Brennan stock now. It's too right. low. It's too, it's yeah. too low. That's that's called you're a GA now, son. You're, yeah. you're the reverse of Bullio. You came in as a quarterback and now you're a coach. Hey, who knows? Maybe that maybe that's gonna be his option. We'll wait and see how that plays out for Miles Brennan. But yes, the LSU quarterback situation continues to be very, very interesting. And um, I don't know that Brian Kelly has his mind made up just yet. But seeing Jaden Daniels progress in that offense in the fall would probably be exactly the way that he would ideally like to go into week one. And we'll see what happens after that. Mm -hmm. A&M's offensive coaching staff shakeup will yield positive results. Fact or fiction? This was great. I'm surprised you didn't text me about this. Okay. So if you, in case you missed this, this was August 3rd. Yeah, August 3rd. So I think. First day of camp, I believe, for AM. Billy Billy Lucci runs I almost texted you about this. Okay, so you almost want to be a hater. That's funny. Okay. So uh, Billy Lucci, who we love over at TexAx, um, he tweeted this out that uh Damian Craig went from receivers coach to quarterbacks coach. James Coley went from tight ends coach to wide receivers coach, and Daryl Dickey went from quarterbacks coach to tight ends coach, which Okay, didn't hear anything about that. <laughs> Did not hear anything about that at SEC Media Days. If Texags is tweeting about this on the first day of camp, 
then this was a surprise move that Jimbo Fisher kept under wraps for a reason. It's a bizarre time of year to find out that a shuffle like that has been made. Granted, all of those guys have done those jobs before at different Power 5 programs. Craig was Jimbo's first quarterbacks coach at Florida State. Coley, of course, coached wide receivers at Georgia before he became the OC there. And then Dickey was LSU's tight ends coach 30 years ago before you, Will Ogburn, were born. <laughs> long time ago i i just support and i'm saying fact for this by the way i support the idea that jimbo is troubleshooting and accept the fact that his offense wasn't good enough last year and he's not just gonna say well better quarterback play will fix everything this is feng shui this, that's what this is move the furniture change the energy we know that Jimbo is still the one calling the play, so it's not wholesale changes that we're talking about here. But why do I think this was done? It's pretty easy. AM wasn't getting enough out of the wideouts. And if there was ever a time for that to turn around, it's right freaking now. Okay? Jimbo trivia for you, Will. Oh, boy. You're not going to like this. Since Jimbo has been at AM 2018, how many receivers has he had drafted? Um, hmm. Nice miss still there. So I, I think zero, right? Zero. Zip. Nada. Okay. Second one. Since Jimbo has been at AM, how many wide receivers finish in the top 10 in the SEC in receiving? Again, that's just receivers. The top 10. I mean, is it? I'm going to guess like two. It's one. Okay. Jamon Ospin finished ninth in 2019. Jay Sternberger was, was also eighth in the SEC in receiving in 2018, but he's a tight end. Tight end yeah. Now, I could say maybe it's overrated to have a 1,000-yard receiver. Didn't realize this until I looked this up this week. Georgia hasn't had a 1,000-yard receiver in 20 years. Pretty oh. crazy. Do you, yeah. do you know who the last one was? Terrence Edwards. Okay. Yeah, 2002. Uh, and they haven't – and by the way, six different SEC programs had a 1,000-yard receiver last year. So this is very, very common. Mm-hmm. Um, they also had Georgia hasn't had an all-SEC receiver since A.J. Green 12 years ago, which is pretty crazy as well to think about given how many games that they've won. Georgia, right. however, and the reason that they can get away with that, at least to a certain extent, is because they've been, in my opinion, or at least in the discussion for RBU during that stretch. Relax, Alabama fans. I'm not saying definitively that it's one or the other, but they're at least in that discussion. And they won a title last year with perhaps the best defense of the 21st century. Well, and they've just decided to adapt. It's classic Georgia. It's like we could have better uh, wide receivers or we could just get a bunch of tight ends that could whoop everybody's behind. And that's what they did. They just stockpiled tight ends. They just neglected wide receiver altogether. And they have at least modernized their offense. They've modernized their scheme. They're taking more downfield chances. The passing volume is still not necessarily there. I'll be interested to see if that changes this year without that all-world defense. And and this year, when you feel like you have a quarterback that can execute that, as opposed to an injured JT Daniels a couple years ago before he came in, all those different things. Okay, so... Meanwhile, though, AM is the team that's just trying to play in a conference championship game for the first time in the 21st century. So that's why that's a problem. They need more production at wide receiver. It's pretty simple. And I talked about this after the Anaya Smith arrest when we were at SEC Media Days. The good news for AM is that he's playing. The bad news is that I still really question the depth and don't think you can assume Evan Stewart is going to walk into the SEC and start winning outside matchups from the jump. Most mm-hmm. freshman receivers in this conference don't do that. So even though I haven't exactly been James Coley, 
biggest supporter in the past after he struggled as Georgia's offensive coordinator in 2019. And it was very evident that they needed to modernize their offense and bring in someone like Todd Munkin with at least some variation of the air raid offense, whatever you want to call that. I still, though, support a move like this that recognizes a weakness and allows AM to perhaps get more production there at receiver. More Jimbo trivia. <laughs> um, so it's been eight years since Jimbo had a top 30 passing offense. We've talked about that stat. Yes, as, as we know. How long has it been since Jimbo had a receiver drafted in the first two days? Oh, was it big boy, Kelvin Benjamin? That is correct, Will. That was 2014. Did you know Jimbo Fisher is entering year 13 as a head coach? He had three receivers drafted total. Kelvin Benjamin in 2014, he was a first rounder. Rashad Green in 2015, he was a fifth rounder. And then mm -hmm. Auden Tate, who was drafted in 2018, he was three picks away from being Mr. Irrelevant. That's mm -hmm. it. That's all we're talking about, just with wide receivers. I've been pretty hard on Jimbo lately. I feel like uh, A&M fans, hopefully you haven't unsubscribed. Don't leave us a one-star review. Just trying to keep it real with everybody. Call it like I see it. But I think We are tech tags appreciators. That's the thing. I was scared to ever talk badly about A&M because of how tight you guys are. But hey, you're leading the charge today. Let's Look, go. I love my guy, Billy. You know, David Nuno, that's my guy. I, I do well with the tech tags people. I do. We're on very good terms. But mm -hmm. I just think that context is worth remembering because we're talking about somebody who hasn't won 10 games in six years and just in case i haven't said it today this hour he's still got 86 million dollars on the table waiting for him after this year it's a real number okay real number Bowling buyouts Bears. yeah yeah okay so we move on let's move on oh yeah i just want to say the thing that i was going to say you actually was it the shakeup it was did you see that that drill the throwing on the run drill that damian craig was running like yesterday I did, and I I did not feel good about Max Johnson doing that. And I don't know if it's just because he's lefty, but I, I watched that video and thought to myself, how often over the course of a game, over the course of a season, will you be in one of those spots where you can't cross the line of scrimmage and you will be throwing from that exact angle, but not facing a pass rush, mind you. So I don't know how right. much that, that that's really relevant, but it, it didn't give me a good feeling about what they're trying to do. It was as if, like, if you guys haven't seen the video, and I'll put it in the Facebook group, but it was as if you were taking the Tim Tebow jump pass, taking every other player out of it and replacing it with some type of a, like a hurdle. Yeah. And dude was just kind of like prancing up to this hurdle and then jumping over it and kind of like, like a, like a Steph Curry teardrop pass. Like it was not a fundamentally sound a five pass, pass at all. Right. Yeah. It was like a, like not a fundamentally sound pass. I was like, uh, yeah, sure. Let's do that. I would love to face that in a game. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Needless to say. Um, okay. So let's move on to this one. Some, some news that we got out of Mizzou, Eli Drinkwitz named Brady Cook, his starter in the mm -hmm. first week of camp. The factor fiction is that it bodes well for Mizzou's offense improving. I sound like a hater today, but I'm saying fiction on that one. If Mizzou's offense improves, it won't be because Brady Cook got the early nod in fall camp and showed that he's the best guy for the job. Hold on. I'm sorry. I'm going to be dreary really quick. You said that the Adam shakeup will, will yield positive results, but then you were just like, Jimbo's bad at making all. Like, how, how well, is no, it going to yield positive results? That's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> is that point. you? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You're if you're A&M, if you're Jimbo specifically, you're recognizing that you haven't been good enough in that area and you need to be able to shake things up. 
because okay. what you've been doing okay. has not been working. So that's, it's like the good, point. what you imagined was good is not. So you just got to throw something at a wall. That's your point. Okay. Yes, it got is. It. Okay. It is personnel feng shui. I, I, I think it, you're trying to tweak things a little bit. I'm not saying that it won't, that it's totally irrelevant here. And that's just for show. Cause obviously if you're in those meetings, obviously th- that type of stuff matters. It's important, but this is recognizing that you have a clear area of weakness that needs to get better. Okay. Sorry. I just had to clarify that because you were pro that. Anyway, back to Brady (laughs) Cook. Okay. Uh, All right. So I am not necessarily a believer that Mizzou's offense will improve as a result of Brady Cook being named Mizzou starting quarterback early in fall camp. Was a little bit surprised to see that news come out as early as it did, but then again, kind of not. If Mizzou's offense takes that next step, this is going to sound harsh. It'll be because Brady Cook was way better than his coach thought he was. Okay. I mean, so here's what I mean by that. And, and, and don't hate me for saying this, Mizzou fans. Remember that in November with Basilek out, Drink started true freshman Tyler Macon in that game. And Cook mm-hmm. eventually came in late in the third quarter. They basically kind of rotated that game. And I get it. Look, it's 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 Georgia. The the worst thing in the world would be to have a sitting duck back there taking, you know, 40 to 50 snaps against that defense. And when you're already dealing with depth issues, it's kind of like, all right, you know what? We're going to try and, and mix things up a little bit. We know that we're not necessarily winning this game. Let's just get out of here, you know, feeling okay and not necessarily have to worry about getting down to one quarterback in the spot. So maybe that's part of it. But we then saw Cook get the start in the Armed Forces Bowl. And at the risk of repeating myself and saying the same thing I've been saying all summer, I'm just going to say, look at the middle 56 minutes of that game. You could make the case that there was an obvious need to go into the portal and add a quarterback if you're Mizzou because Basilak was gone. He's going to Indiana. And if Sam Horn was going to go play baseball, the true freshman, there was a world in which you're looking up, realizing, crap, I've got two scholarship quarterbacks behind a leaky offensive line. That's not good. So I guess you could argue that Mizzou was always going to try and make a big splash in the portal. That's the point that I brought up with Ole Miss before. They, they needed to add somebody in the portal based on the way that their quarterback numbers were shaking out, even though I didn't think that Jackson Dart was guaranteed to be the starter or anything like that. So they, however, unlike Ole Miss, whiffed. They whiffed on JT Daniels, and then they whiffed on Jaden Daniels. Who knows if that sales pitch fell short because they have unproven weapons or if it was related to the fact that Mizzou has 28 touchdown passes in the first 23 games of the Drinkwitz era, which is just two more than Vandy. That's not great. Don't think that was part of the pitch. But with all due respect to Jack Abraham, who literally began his college career during the Obama administration is on his fifth school in seven years. I, I, don't, okay. I don't think that's what Drinkowitz was hoping to get from the transfer portal in terms of a quarterback addition. He, he can deny that all he wants. And he was asked more about Jack Abraham during SEC media days than he was any of his other quarterbacks, which was just kind of strange to sit back and listen to. I get it. He has his, the connection to the state of Mississippi, but whatever, you get the point. It's not that I think Cook is destined to fail. That's that's not what I'm saying. I think that the path for him to succeed is being a way better version of himself than anything his coach for, has seen from him in his first two years of school. That sounds harsh. Gosh, why am I so harsh today? I'm in a good mood. Man, you are not kidding. This lad, Jack Abraham, is almost 25. This boy is my age. <laughs> I, sorry, I'm still stuck on that. This is going to be the ultimate 
and I'm not saying that he's going to have like NFL draft evaluators or anything like that, but Hendon Hooker and Stetson Bennett going into the pre-draft evaluation process as 25 year olds is going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to hear about that over and over and over again. I'll probably be the person that throws that out there repeatedly. Like, Hey, you know, it's like, it is mid twenties, you know, chance he's not going to start, but in the NFL, by the time he's, you know, his late twenties. Now I just found myself saying, what if Stetson Bennett starts in the NFL? Okay. Buddy, he will find a way (laughs) that's going to be, he's going to be like real life Rudy. And he's just going to be like a pro bowl quarterback of the NFL. He's going to end up with the Patriots, like take back Jones. Oh gosh. They're just going to be there until the year 2050. Mm-hmm. He's going to be like, how is this happening? Okay. Uh, last one. Uh, all right. This is, this is going to sound hater too. I, I feel really bad about this now. Ole Miss will have the best rushing attack in the country. I say fiction. This comes via what Zach Evans told on three. The TCU transfer running back said, quote, I think it could be the best in the country. He's talking about the backfield. I think it can be great. I mean, that's what we're working for. No problem with the quote, by the way. No problem if a kid wants to come out and say that. Not criticizing that at all. And I'm not even going to do the thing where I say, wow, doesn't Zach Evans know that the last time a non-service academy or triple option team led the nation in rushing was 2013 Auburn? I'm not going to do that, Okay. (laughs) Not going to do that. Basically a service academy because that offense was wild. That that offense was, everybody was taken off of the ball. I missed that offense so much. Shout out Trey Mason. What's Trey Mason doing right just now? We need to get Uh, him on the pod. Good question. Trey LaSole. What a king. Um, Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, let's see if we can find him. Yeah. Um, So with Ole Miss though, can can it have one of the five to 10 best non-service academy uh, option rushing attacks in the country? Yes, definitely. They have four starters back on the offensive line. They had the number 11 rushing attack in FBS last year. I just can't say that they're going to be the best rushing attack in college football and that they're going to average like 50 more rushing yards per game after replacing the likes of Snoop Connor, Jerry Neely, and Henry Parrish, not to mention running backs coach Kevin Smith, who went to Miami, not to mention Jeff Levy, who of course is at Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Also, don't forget... You're placing Matt Corral, who was a darn good runner when he was healthy. Oh, yeah. Even if it's you know Jackson Dart, Luke Altmaier, both of whom have mobility, that's still a downgrade, in my opinion, as you talk about a quarterback and his ability to be a runner and to be a threat in that department. And I say that as somebody who is really, really bullish on a healthy version of Zach Evans in Lane's offense. And I think Ulysses Bentley has that home run playability mixed in with some of the Snoop Connor pop. I was watching, I think like 10 minutes of Ulysses Bentley highlights today. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm, I'm excited for this kid. I'm, I'm sad that Snoop Connor is no longer in the sec, even though he spells his last name wrong, but I am excited for you. <laughs> Can't control Bentley. that. It's his last name. <laughs> Whatever he can. Uh, <laughs> and then Kentrell Bullock. This is a guy that I'm really interested in too. They are very high on him at Ole Miss as kind of, that I don't I don't want to say that that he's going to be third fiddle you know in, in that in that backfield necessarily I just love the fact that he's a no gloves ball carrier which is the mm-hmm. offensive equivalent of a neck roll defender yes can't go wrong there <laughs> that's a win in our book every single day of the week um, yeah because you know if they fumble the coach you go son how come you're not wearing gloves yeah it's like do you realize the humidity here in Oxford man. <laughs> Come on, be better. Arkansas is my pick to have the SEC's best rushing attack. And I think Tennessee has a chance to to probably also have the SEC's best rushing attack. But in terms of backfield duos, 
Evans and Bentley, they could be the best in the conference. Then I started thinking about who's going to be the best backfield duo in the SEC. Kenny McIntosh, Kendall Milton, Jabari Small, and Jalen Wright. That's another one at Tennessee. Wright was in the Bruce Feldman's Freak Story, which everybody should go read. Bruce just keeps adding more and more stuff to this every single year. He's up Mm -hmm. to 100 freaks. I I swear I used to read it when it was like the top 20 freaks in college football. He's like, no, I'm just going to multiply this by five. It's loaded with good stuff. I... I take some of that with a grain of salt because you realize like he's getting the information from strength coaches and stuff. And right. they're, uh, they're getting a little bit of home cooking with some of those numbers. They, they definitely are. But I'll say this about Jalen Wright. His top speed in the story, this is what it said. It was measured out at 23.6 miles per hour. That sounds fast. Mm-hmm. He had a 44-inch vertical with a 10.8 broad jump. Pretty good. Seems pretty good in that offense. Should be a lot of fun to watch. Um, by the way, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Arkansas, they all run up-tempo. They all return the, the the majority of their offensive line production as well, which I think is significant for the way that they want to operate. But I will temper my expectations and say that the best running game in the country is slightly too much for Ole Miss. I'm glad you hit on that. I think we're kind of aligned here. So you think Arkansas is going to be the best, followed by probably Tennessee, and then Ole Miss is probably shooting for like third there in the SEC? Yeah, just because I think when you have KJ and when you have Hooker, that kind of changes what you're capable of. Because Hooker, mm-hmm. got, Hooker took all those sacks last year. What did he take, like 36 sacks? And he's, his rushing numbers were still really good. And remember in college, you know, the rushing total is impacted by, by, sacks, yeah. by sacks as well. So I look at that and I'm like, man, I, I feel really good about that. And that's pretty much the way that you lead the non-service academies and, and rushing is by mm-hmm. having an up-tempo offense and by having not just two running backs who can be really good, but having probably three more, like four legit rushing options that you rely on over the course of a game. And, uh, you know, you could probably make, probably make the case that all three of those teams will end up with that, but I feel best about Arkansas and Tennessee definitely getting there. And then Ole Miss is a little bit more of a question mark. I think also don't sleep on Florida. Um, I, mm, I just think that point. they have, they have like whoever they have at running back. I don't really care. Montrell Johnson, that, the, the transfer yeah. from, from Louisiana should be really good for him. Right. I was about to say Louisiana had a pretty solid rushing attack last year too. And you factor in that with Florida's, uh, talent like their personnel with um he's he doesn't want to go by ar-15 anymore it's just does he have another nickname or is it just anthony richardson i think i think we're just going anthony richardson okay uh let's maybe maybe we transition to tony just (laughs) has anybody squatted on that yet well they already had a tony so you can't do that anyway so anthony richardson the third or whatever his full government name is i think he's a really good runner obviously and their like receiver room is like not super stacked right now so i think they're going to lead on the run game and and i think they'll kind of be bringing up that pack but i I am i am bullish on Ole miss Ole miss and tennessee are two teams that people think of as passing teams but low-key they're running teams yeah very much so look at i mean just look at those national rushing leaders that's Mm -hmm. that's that's the name of the game run tempo have a few backs that do it for you don't necessarily need to have that traditional 1500 yard back to be one of the best rushing teams in the country overall uh anything else that we should hit on any other storylines we want to talk about mark stoops getting some shade from john cal perry my goodness what a foot and mouth comment that was for cal if you haven't seen the quote that kyle tucker had in the athletic about cal basically trying to advocate for a new practice facility for the basketball program he's trying to get on kansas's level and he throws the football program under the bus by saying this is a basketball school and then stoops quote tweeted it and it was like basketball school forced four consecutive postseason victories um 
weird, weird moment. I get where Stoops is coming from there. Um, so if we're doing fact or fiction, Mark Stoops uh, has a right to be kind of pissed off by what <laughs> basketball coach said. I would say fact. I, yeah, I, would, I mean, I love Cal. And like, I saw a poll today that Kentucky is like way more hated in basketball than I thought. I've always loved Kentucky, but like, you can't do that after that loss to St. Peter's, right? Like, if you're coming off of even like a sweet 16, you're like, yeah, you know, this is a basketball school, but when you lose to St. Peter's, it's like, dog, like, Come on, bro. Like this is a team that has made New Year's six balls in football. Like we're not quite at this moment, not there in basketball is all the same. I get, yeah, I get what, what Cal is trying to do and the relationship he has with Mitch Barnhart. Our, our, our friends over at KSR have very much well-documented the rift between those two and, and the divide. So weird. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's strange because you would think that, that a program that has had two coaches, I mean, this is year 10 for Mark Stoops and, and Cal obviously has been there even longer. So, I mean, two of the elder statesmen of the SEC, yet there's still this, this kind of battle uh, internally, at least it looks like right now. Not exactly the thing that Kentucky's PR staff probably wanted to be dealing with on a random Thursday in August, but you know what? Here we are. Even even that's like the other is like that we always talk about Kentucky, like having the stability and not firing coaches. It's like if you keep a coach too long, they'll just randomly develop beef with each other. And you got to separate them in the mess hall or whatever. Yes. yes. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, perfect transition. Bear Felica loves him some Kentucky this year. We got into mm-hmm. a little bit of that. Uh, an interesting comment he had to say about the cats and potentially being able to go with college game day to a matchup of undefeated Kentucky against Georgia. He dug into uh, the root of, of why he came out with something like that, what comment that's been making the rounds. So we also talked SEC over unders, his favorite Heisman bet, little college game day stuff, a little bit of uh, course of content at the end that we always got to get from the bear. Great stuff is always with him. So here is Bear Felica. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is ESPN's Chris Felica, aka the Bear. You see him on College Game Day. He hosts Stanford Steve and the Bear Podcast. Your latest episode that you recorded was on SEC win totals, mm-hmm. which is what I want to be able to dig into today. But before we do that, I need two things from you. One, yes. um, I know you hit up Turks and Caicos, and you also mm-hmm. went on a cruise over the summer. I did. You, you said the cruise was May slash June. Please tell me that the bear yeah. hit a two-month-long cruise. I wish it was a two-month-long <laughs> cruise. Unfortunately, it was only a two-week-long cruise with some days on the front end and some days on the back end. Um, yeah, Turks and Caicos is always that, – that's like our go-to spot now. Uh, post football season, sit on the beach, sit in the sun, look at the go in the pool, and just kind of, kind of chill for a, a week or so, which is always a great relaxing vacation. And then my wife and I like to do a little bit more of a, uh, a traditional, adventurous, exploratory type trip in the off season. And this year, yeah, I, I had never been on a cruise outside of those oh. like ridiculous sea escape cruises that I used to go on back in college. It was the the cruise to nowhere and you'd drink and gamble all yeah. you want. And, uh, but, but I had never been on a cruise. And this year we actually went on a, uh, a seaborne cruise. Uh, when we first ever extended cruise, uh, and it was awesome because we, we always have talked about going back to like, Greek islands. And I wanted to go to Turkey and uh, my wife did, did a little digging and found a, a cruise on Seaborne, which uh, wound up being a uh, starting in, in Israel, starting in Tel Aviv. Oh, and so we, so we literally flew to Tel Aviv, stayed in Tel Aviv for a couple of days, got on the boat and uh, it went to a bunch of Greek islands and it wound up ending in, uh, in Istanbul. So it, it was, 
it was an incredible, an incredible. You stayed in Istanbul for a few few days uh, after the cruise as well. But uh, yeah, it, it got to see. Uh, we went to most of the Greek you know, all the. We didn't get Santorini this time. Oh, we to I was just gonna ask. Yes. It's yeah, incredible. We've been to we've been to Santorini in the past. Okay. Uh, so this one did Rhodes, Mykonos, uh, Crete, uh, Patmos. Uh, and the place that we really liked among the Greek islands was a place called Skiathos, uh, which is where Mamma Mia was filmed. Oh, yeah. It's an, it's an, it's an island in like the, the northern uh, Aegean. But it we, like we really hadn't heard much about it before. Like, we got off the boat there and kind of walked around the town and grabbed blood. It was it was beautiful. We we loved it there. So that was our, I think, our favorite Greek island among this trip. But uh, I can't speak highly enough of turkey uh there were people who have a pre preconceived notion of because of what happened there i guess it would have been what 2015 or so uh but everyone there was so nice istanbul is a massive bustling city with millions and millions of people it was so so neat the food was great it was easy to get around uh if you're a history buff ephesus is uh has to be on your bucket list to go to go see just the other uh it was i had always said that karnak temple was the most amazing thing i've seen in, in, in egypt but when i got to ephesus ephesus was just simply uh, incredible so if you have a chance by all means and you have the means necessary to be able to get there i would highly suggest uh getting to turkey and seeing some of the unesco sites and the historical sites that are there Look at you, world traveler. I'm just surprised that that was the first <laughs> cruise you've ever been on. But that, mm-hmm. that's that's different than your typical like little lap around the Caribbean. That that's a real deal cruise. Well, 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 well. I shocked you two years in a row because last year I told you I'd never seen an episode of The Office. That's right. Until we until we until yep. we uh, we actually bit, we we recently binged like the first four seasons or so. No because way. Like, oh, we got, yeah yeah we recently said, and I, I don't know why I what why it took so long for me to do it. All right, so I mean, so you're into it now, though you get it. Yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. No, no. It's it, yeah. It's Creed's my man. Creed is the unsung hero. He's 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 oh, he's so great. Most efficient it. television character ever, <laughs> ever. Yeah, he's he's unbelievable. Okay, uh, I need a Miami vibe check from you. Last time we chatted, mm-hmm. we were talking about why Lane to Miami didn't really make sense. It's before the Mario Cristobal stuff had come out. He gets the gig, of course. It seems like he's just been on a war path, whether it's recruiting, his assistant staff, transfer portal, you name it. In terms of like a scale of, of pumped, zero to 10, with 10 being like Ed Reed, I'm hurt dog halftime speech. <laughs> Where are you right now in terms of fired up? Um, um, for, for this year, I would say I'm an eight. Okay. I mean, it's, it's hard to reach. I'm hurt dog, Florida State halftime locker room speech. Because uh, that was a special team, but I, I think based where they've been, uh, you've got to be excited uh, for, for especially this year with with TVG coming back. Uh, it, it's amazing. I looked up some stuff last year, and the way he ended the year with the six straight three hundred yard passing games and three touchdowns, like in the football in the playoff era, only Burrow in two thousand nineteen did that. So that's the type of performance level wow. that this kid's capable of. Um, I mean, I know they, they think he's the best quarterback in the ACC, and I know some people obviously have their own opinions on whether it's him or Hartman or, or Brennan Armstrong. But I, I think the, the thing Miami fans need to just kind of calm down a little bit with this year, 
You still have to go to AM early in the year, and that's obviously going to be a very difficult game. You do have Clemson on the schedule, and who knows what way it's going to go with the Tigers. Obviously, offensively, they could have some problems, but defensively, uh, they're going to be great. Can someone, former Clemson player, can, can Ladson be that big target wide receiver that they've really lacked? They, they need really to address some playmakers on the outside in order to get that offense going and while all of the recruiting and the and the commits are going great they're not there this year they're, yeah. they're coming so like they, they're not going to be able to contribute right now so while it's great that all those guys are coming it's not an immediate help what is an immediate help uh, and i think the the, the biggest thing the, the most thing that uh, that i'm excited about is just it seems like everybody now is on the same page. Yes. The president, you brought in a new athletic director and Dan Radakovich, who was, was one of the best ADs in the country with what he did at Clemson. You brought in a new head coach who's homegrown, who lived the program, who knows what it's about. And the staff you've brought in with Gaddis and, and Charlie Strong and, and Steele, I, I, you've got some great assistant coaches on that staff. So that's the thing I think most Miami fans should be the most excited about is knowing that it's a pretty damn good staff that now has full cooperation and is in full alignment with the rest of the athletic department and the school. Speaking of first-year coaches, fan bases that are really fired up, eager to be back, USC, they're getting all these national title bets flying in because I think people see the path to the, to the Pac-12. <laughs> right. It's so unbelievably skewed, obviously, for Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia to win it all that they see those odds and they're like, we got to jump all over this. Where do you land on predicting a four-win team with a coach who has yet to win a playoff game is going to win a national championship? <laughs> well, why would you say that a four-win team that did, with a coach who's never won a playoff game? That's not very, that's very nice of you to say. Exactly. But, <laughs> I, I don't get it. Look, I get it, but I don't get it. I understand the excitement of bringing in an, an offensive-minded head coach like that after what we've seen from SC in recent years. I get the excitement of bringing in Caleb Williams and Dye and Addison. But defensively, what are you going to do? How, how, how much better can you be defensively than, than than what they've been? I mean, this is a team that, what, they gave up 60 to UCLA last year? I mean, they're going to be in a bunch of 40 to 35 type of games. But at the same time, you look at the schedule, and based on the talent and what you think you should get out of that offense, like if they lose to someone other than Notre Dame, UCLA, or Utah, it would be a surprise because they're better than all of those other teams. Now, to win the college football playoff, that you're, you're lighting money on fire. I mean, that, that's not happening. Now, if you want to make an argument that they could make the playoff, maybe they'll take a step forward and beat Utah and take a step forward and, and, and beat UCLA. They'll take a step forward and, and beat Notre Dame. Okay, I mean, I won't, I won't laugh that off, and maybe you can get a, a nice plus price on them to make the playoff if you are just assuming hey, it's going to be Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State for sure. We don't know about Clemson. Uh, maybe that fourth spot is truly up for grabs, but people betting USC to win the national title, you're, you're way ahead of things. Again, like Miami. You you gotta you gotta wait you gotta let them bring in some guys up front on both the offensive line and the defensive lines because I mean they they couldn't stop the run last year to save their lives so like that, that's going to defensively is going to be a problem for them they're going to need Caleb Williams to be like second half Oklahoma Texas game Caleb Williams type great uh, in order to pull help some of those games out.
Yeah, not not a first half Kansas type of type of great. No. <laughs> yeah, that would that would be bad. I want you to to think back to this moment when you guys are inevitably in Salt Lake City. College game day is going to be in the house. It's going to be USC Utah and what, Cameron what? Rising. Cameron Rising just throws all over the place, and everybody's like Utah man, like it's happening. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, that's going to be the moment, and we're going to be like, oh, I guess that USC bet was kind of stupid, and they're not going to end up playing for Pac-12 championship. Exactly. Oh, I, I believe. I hope we're in Utah that we. That, that's one of my, uh, my my favorite places to go. Like it's just the the environment, the air, the city. It's just clean, crisp, just beautiful scenery, and a great Italian place that right now I'm forgetting the name of. Um, <laughs> Hopefully I can remember the name of it, but we had an unbelievable uh, Italian Italian dinner there one night where basically it was like, like no menu and the, the owner just basically brought stuff out and it was just incredible. Yeah. Any, anytime, anytime you can get me to the, the Pacific Northwest or somewhere west of the rock, Seattle, Eugene, Salt Lake City, count me in. Okay. Another place you said you wanted to go. And mm-hmm. I, I see the ulterior motives working here. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm getting to. You floated something out there that got BBN pretty fired up. You I said know. that you, you hope Kentucky is undefeated going into the Georgia game. So that college game day to tra- can travel to Lexington. Right. Be honest. I saw right through that. I'm like, all right, there, he wants to be there. Churchill Downs that weekend. How much of it is actually thinking they could be 10 and 0 versus like wishing that that, that can happen instead of oh, a perfect it, weekend? It's, it's wishing. I, I think there are enough questions on that team. But yeah, I don't even know if Keeneland's racing that weekend. But I, I mean, that was kind of a dual, a dual. Uh, maybe I can somehow find a stray bottle of pappy floating around Lexington somewhere. Uh, I don't, I don't want to get Mark upset. Well, actually it was funny. I was talking about this with a buddy of mine who's a Kentucky diehard yesterday. And he sent me the, one of the many people that sent me the, uh, the, the tweet and the meme. And I was like, yeah, I just didn't want Mark to get upset at me. And my buddy, my buddy Jared was like, yeah, actually you probably would have preferred that you badmouth them that way, uh, that, that way you could use it as motivation. But I, I, I love Mark and look, look, I mean, we'll see people love the potential of Will Levis moving forward. I think they're, they're going to have some issues early on with maybe Rodriguez serving a suspension and uh, some other things that, Stanford Steve seemed to indicate that there were some things going Ooh. on that I hadn't heard of, but yeah, yeah. yeah he mentioned that on, on the pod that there were some things going on. I mean, I, I, I know Rodriguez, I think was one of those guys who might be suspended, but I'm going to try and do a little bit of digging, but, but yeah, I think, I think people are at the point with Kentucky where they still can't grasp what Mark has done there. Like their offensive line has been great. They've had guys drafted defensively. They've had guys drafted. They've been great. Like he's built a program. Like they have NFL type talent. They have great recruiting classes now. Like they're just not going to go away to like five and seven. Like uh, maybe they'll have a six and six or a seven and five type of year. But uh, like like they're they're done being like kind of a pushover in the SEC. And I, I would hope that most people nationally can kind of see that. Does that mean you're taking the over on the regular season win total, which is at seven and a half? It's hard. I mean, Steve, I felt like a, like an idiot at times on that podcast because I was so noncommittal on a lot of these <laughs> SEC win totals. But it's hard because what's the difference, honestly, between Kentucky, Tennessee, LSU? Like, yep. like, like they're all like the same Arkansas. They're all like the same team. They all feel like eight and four, nine and three type teams. And the win totals had eight. So it's like this really like you're just basically throwing a dart and hoping that your your preseason opinion is right on a lot of these teams. Like the, the one the one team that I do like in terms of going over 
And I, I, there were some six and a halfs out there early, uh, and I think most places are seven now, is, is LSU. Mm. Uh, LSU doesn't have a talent problem. LSU had a problem the last couple of years with the culture and guys holding out for the draft and getting injured and, and Coach O and everything that was going on off the field. That was the issue with, with LSU. Bad, bad coordinator hires that just didn't pan out. I mean, they have talent. Like offensively, they, they have skill guys. Um, and it, when Brian Kelly has been favored, like, like it was such a knock at, uh, at Notre Dame with under Brian Kelly. Oh, he can't win. He can't win the big game. Well, yeah, who who, who has beaten Alabama and Clemson? Nobody. But when he's been favored, I, I think he won something like 40 of his last 41 games as a favorite at Notre Dame. Like when they've had, when he's had the better team or it's been perceived that he's had the better team, he's won. And a lot of these games in the SEC against some of the other teams in the, in, in the middle of the league, like he's going to be a favorite. He's going to be perceived to have a better team. So I think that Florida State game is really interesting to start the year. I think they're better than Florida State. It's basically a home game in the Superdome. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think I think if you can if you can find a six and a half, I'd feel really good about it. And if you find seven, that's probably a push at worst, I would think. But I, but I, I think LSU is definitely uh, a, a a realistic chance for an eight and four better type year. I think they're the most unpredictable team in college football. And part of it is because of all this turnover that they've had in the transfer portal. We're not used to seeing what that's going to look like. We don't know how the quarterback situation is going to shake out. And then just look at the last three years. I mean, they have two six-win seasons all the time. Or I guess not six wins because they didn't get their Same record as Missouri the last two years overall and in conference. And they lost to Missouri in 2020, (laughs) which is kind of crazy. So they wouldn't even have the tiebreaker. And here they are. Like you think you know what you're going to get. But at the same time, with all this turnover that they have, it is a massive question mark. And I think their range of outcomes is all over the place. So on the surface, a casual observer, I think might look at the Alabama regular season over under of 10 and a half wins and say, that's, that's insanity. Like give me that all day. But the over is minus 280 from what I saw lately on, on FanDuel. And then the under is plus 230. So it's definitely not just as simple as saying, well, that's an automatic bet. I'm going to take the over. Or am I just overthinking that? How would you approach that? With the, the I think runner. you're I think you're overthinking a little a little bit. Uh, I actually played Alabama over ten and a half minus two forty um, a few weeks back, and, and and this is just it's just a philosophical thing with me. I would rather lay the juice, the higher price, with a total that might give you a half of game uh, to win. Like like basically, I'd rather lay minus two forty over ten and a half than lay one nine one fifty or whatever over 11 Mm. i would rather win on 11 than push it 11 realizing that alabama losing two regular season games is pretty much an anomaly and that does not happen very often so like you look at alabama like defensively they're going to be fantastic uh you bring in Gibbs, and I, and I think that'll be a little bit different offensive dynamic than what they had last year. Is they need to have some of these guys step in, but you would think uh, with, with Burton and Harold, they'll, they'll they should be okay in the offensive line. I know what loses Evan Neal, but they should be better. That was that was, and Nick Nick kind of joked about the rebuilding type year, like. 
that was the one area last year where they did kind of struggle yeah. on the offensive line, where they just could not get a push, could not maintain blocks, struggled a little bit in pass protection. And it was just a Bryce kind of improvising a lot and getting the ball out quick. So you would think the offensive line should be better this year. Uh, if Nick's making jokes about last year being a, a, a rebuilding year, and here they are in the national championship game where if Jamison Williams doesn't get hurt, who knows what happens. Um I'd be very scared, but yeah, I, I know there are people out there that get afraid to lay a big number like that on and over, but I would rather lay a big number, win on 11, than lay a smaller number knowing that if you get tripped up once, the best you can do is push. Okay, so Vegas did the right thing then by getting in my head with with that and just yes. the, the minus. Yeah, okay, that makes and sense. And the same thing goes for Georgia as well. It, mm. It's the same. It's the same philosophy for Georgia as well. Now, while it looks like Georgia has a couple more potentially losable games or tougher games, I should say, it's the same thing. I just don't see Georgia losing twice on that schedule. I know people in, in Knoxville are probably upset about that, and and, and Eugene and whomever, but like. How's Oregon going to score many points? And, and then uh, we've seen Bo Nix uh, against the Georgia defense, and it's not ended well any of those previous times. Now, uh, the Oregon, that's one thing about this opening. Like people, I think, are so excited about week one. You see Notre Dame, Ohio State, those big names. The Georgia Oregon game is the most intriguing opening weekend game for me, because I'm curious to see the Oregon defense as well. Like people are, oh, KT is gone, but. Justin Flo, uh, Noah Sewell, that they got guys on defense, and now Dan Lanning is there, who's familiar with Georgia's offense and knows kind of the problems that they can present with the tight ends. Like that is a fascinating game to me, and I'm really curious to see how the new look Georgia defense does against an Oregon defense led by their former defensive coordinator. And the Bo Nix, Bo Nix playing against yeah. Georgia for his fourth time theoretically, which is just kind of crazy. Um, I want to put you on the spot here. People on these airwaves have heard me say this stat probably 20 times this offseason, but I just wanted to share this with you as someone who you love tracking the trends. And if you want to make this the Affleck trivia question on the first college game day, okay. I'm not going to stop you. I'm not, I'm not, you can use All this, right. but full permission. Okay. In the last 17 years, the preseason AP number one won the national title just one time. Who was that team? The 17 years would be 2000, going back to 2005. Correct. It was uh, Florida State, right? 2000, no, 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 they, were, they, they weren't preseason number one in, in, in 13. They were not. Alabama was preseason number one that year. And it's obviously it's before like it's before the uh, like the USC deal in 2005. That's why you're going back to that. You're cutting it off at USC. Yes, correct. So, yeah, because so they they kind of started that as like the obvious. Yeah. You know, they're trying to mm-hmm. win, trying to three peat, do all that. And so so w- w- was it Clemson? The other Clemson one? Were they preseason number one? No. Surprisingly, no. Surprisingly, no. Okay, they were, pre- uh, they were preseason. They were preseason number one. I think the year they lost, wound up losing to LSU. I think that might. Have been yes, it. that's that's exactly. I, I, right. well, once once you say this, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna remember the answer. And I'm gonna remember the year. I mean, I'm assuming it's Alabama one of those years. 2017 Alabama. That's the only time. That's it right and there. Ironically, a team that should not have won the national championship. Yes, because Georgia had them beat. <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. I think, especially and and I don't think it's a coincidence that in the internet age, where in that eight month offseason of hearing about how great you are, that number one team is not the lock. And even though we talk about how boring the sport is at the top, and oh, it's the same teams fall by, and we look at these odds, 
FanDuel has the the Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State versus the field bet to win the title. I donated to that already. Oh, okay, okay. So I got to get your take on this. The so for those who don't know, Bama, Georgia, Ohio State is minus three forty, which is insane. Mm-hmm. The field is plus yeah. two seventy. I've never seen it that top heavy before, and I haven't tracked this in the way that you have historically. And know all that. I think minus three forty is the right play. Tell me, I'm crazy for thinking that. No, it is. I, I, honestly, who other than those three teams? Can you see winning? And, and I think what people need to realize is you need to find a team that has the talent level to be able to beat two of those teams. Yep. Because you're going to get in at number four or number three, and you're going to play one of them in the semifinal. Then you're going to have to turn around a week later and play the other one in the championship game. Like maybe, like, like I said, people are going to point to like, – like I always ask this question – by, uh, by Gil Alexander on a numbers game on VSIN, uh, I guess a month ago or six weeks ago. And, and I said, I guess like you're looking at a team like AM, but they got to get there. And like, could the SEC get three teams? And I think like they're going to be, they're a year away, I think, from all these recruits stepping in. I, I, if you believe in Clemson defensively, that they can get there and, and either, either Klubnik or uh, DJ will ultimately figure it out. I guess like, I, 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 that's the, like, do you really believe Utah can beat two of those three teams? And, and I, I don't. Yeah, do I? Like, that was a, I, it's just hard. If you want, like, now, look, if you want to, th- basically, the way to play it is lay the 340, get those three teams. Not sure there are people who hate tying up $3,400 or $340 or whatever mm-hmm. for, for four months. And, and I get that, but I would play that. And then if you want to throw a dart on someone who's a longer price, uh, and, and if you're right, then you have, 12, 15, 20 to one on someone. And you know, you still basically, you're still up against, you still got your minus three, four. It was funny because I actually went to, but I can't, I can't see anybody else. And actually, when I was in, in Vegas uh, last week, I actually, you played some, uh, some cross board parlays and, and that's all I used for, for college football was where Alabama, Georgia and Ohio state, because I, I just don't see anybody else who can potentially win it. Yeah, I don't either. And maybe, maybe like a maybe like an Oklahoma would be the only interesting dart throw. And even that is just a massive question. There's just such a clear top tier this year, and it's telling once you actually have to dig into the rest of this. You know, uh, top you know four through ten, whatever that area is. My uh, my trademark pending phrase: "Friends don't let friends bet on preseason Heisman favorites." Is something <laughs> I, I hope you believe in. Is a guy who oh, knows he's been through. So okay, um, I know you're not crazy into the Heisman futures. Mm-hmm. But have you placed one or – okay, so so you don't necessarily I – because I know you don't want to necessarily skew the money or anything like that. But if it's already placed, oh, then I think it's fine. Oh, right? it's skewed. Oh, it's skewed. Don't worry. Okay. So, okay. I, I, so you got I, I, had, I, I had bet it. And then on the draft day when we had our little college game day preview show, we were started talking about it. Yeah, I bet I got 40 to 1 on Will Anderson. And obviously, he's now 20 to 1, 25 to 1. Um, I, I think – there are people who are like, oh, he's not going to win. Like Bryce Young, like, but yeah, Bryce Young's already there. What can Bryce Young do this year to exceed or even meet what he did last year without the wide receiver skill players that he had last year? Like I said, I think there probably is going to be some people who maybe don't want to vote for him two years in a row. I, I think there are some people who maybe last year 
thought Will Anderson might have been the best player in the country, but just didn't want to vote for him. Uh, I think you look at Ohio State. The thing is, the other contenders, like you look at Ohio State, sure, C.J. Stroud is going to get all of the the hype, but there are going to be some people out there that think Jackson Smith and Jigba is the the the, the star of that team, or yeah. Trevion Henderson is the star of that team, and you might have a little 2002 Miami-type deal where you've got multiple guys splitting votes. So, like, maybe the Ohio State in the midway, like, you kind of – split the votes and after that like who else do you maybe caleb williams like, like there's there are other guys out like you're banking on usc going 11 and one or something like that and the odds of that happening i don't think are are very good so i think there are strikes against um the other favorites and i think if you look at anderson uh, like i said i think there were people last year that thought he was the best player in the country the fact that he built up equity from last year with what, 34 and a half tackles for loss and 17, 18 sacks. Like people know him now. Aiden Hutchinson was second in the Heisman Trophy voting last year. So it's clear defensive guys are getting more recognition now. So yeah, I played, I play an Anderson at 40 to one. And that's the only Heisman bet uh, that, that I have made to date. And that's probably the only Heisman bet I will make uh, for the time being. Yeah. Cause you don't do the midseason thing, right? Cause they, they, they get so ahead of that. And by the time you're onto it, somebody else's you're, you're better mm-hmm. off just with, with the dart throw. Otherwise you're, it feels like you're just kind of lighting money on fire. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, and, and, yeah. And, unless you're like, unless you're of the school of thought that you're not going to ever get a better price on Stroud or whomever. And you just want to have the ticket in your back pocket. And, yeah. Open open up your account in the first weekend of December. Like, oh yeah, I do have CJ Stroud at plus four hundred or whatever. He, he might. I don't even know if that's what he is. But uh, yeah, I I'd rather wait and see how things go. I mean, unfortunately, injuries factor into this so often. Team records factor into this so often. So I just rather wait and take a little bit, at least on one of the favorites. Wait a little bit, take a little bit worse of a price uh, with a much better chance of winning. One last thing before I let you go. I always got to ask for a Corso story. We uh, we know how uh, how you got your nickname, which is an all-time Corso story. And I had Fowler on telling the, the story about the F-bomb at Houston. Is there maybe a, a story that happened in the last year uh, from Corso that stands out? It's funny. I, I'm actually going to share, and I don't think he'll mind because it was a joke. I actually called him uh, last weekend to kind of check in and say hello and see how he's doing get like got my ma- oh, got, got a magazine open up got a preview going to see kirk i uh, just wanted to say hi and check in and make sure you're okay and then and then and the next thing and, and, and we he he has a, he has a, a funny saying that and i think he said it on the air before he's like he's like ah and it's kind of a joke ah, the, the, the three things you don't talk about are politics religion and past defense <laughs> so 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 I I I, I kind of joked about that with him, and he's like, oh, I got I got one more rumor. He's like, and I called him, and, like, and, I, and he said, politics, religion, past defense, and I'm not going to talk about it, but I'm going to spread a rumor, joke jokingly, that I'm going to go to the Live Golf League because they couldn't get <laughs> they couldn't get Barkley, so I'm going to be cheaper and I'm going to put on a, a golfer head every they want me to put on a golfer head every week. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to spread that rumor and started laughing in joking fashion. So he he she he is still so sharp. Like, like sometimes on the air it's apparent that 
his voice in his brain because of the stroke. He can't get the the, the words out as quickly as, as he's thinking it. But but for him just to like think, yeah, you know what? They couldn't get Barkley, so they're going to come to me, and I'm just going to put on the put on a, a Dustin Johnson head every week now or something to pick the the, the live golf. All of them, they're going to pay me because they can't afford Barkley. That's and incredible. He's, he's just he's just he's great. He's the best. One last last question. Um, I, I know you're excited to go to the uh, the Miak Swac uh, Challenge this year, week zero, but. Come on, world traveler. I know you put in a strong word to your bosses to be like, guys, how are we feeling about Dublin? Let's make that happen. Uh, and see, that would be that, that would be the the ultimate because I've never been to Ireland. Oh, you gotta uh, go. And it's, and, and it's actually somewhere that we're thinking about going next year. We're we're, we're kind of figuring out our, our trip. But no, that would work out great because we could go early. I could catch a uh a Premier League match early in yep. before, on the front end, go to Ireland and stay. That was actually one of the other things that I do. I would love to go to to Ireland. That was actually one of the other things that I that I did last year. I actually went to Anfield for a Champions League match. Oh, I remember second, that. Yeah, for the second leg of Liverpool uh, Benfica, and it was and it was awesome. So I, I got to get to a uh, I got to get to a Prem a Prem match this year. But no, I, I'd, I'd love to uh, get over there, spend the entire week prepping. Yeah. Uh, for, for the uh playing for the game but yeah i think i think uh yeah i can't do that anymore unfortunately like i can't lift my arm like up higher than oh that. that's right i forgot about that but i got a bum shoulder but uh, until i get that fixed my uh my sticks are collecting dust unfortunately yeah just just go to dublin spend a day in galway yep. go to cliffs and more do, do the whole yep. thing it's drive it's up to belfast go oh, to God, Causeway, yeah. yep yeah, we'll make it happen yeah, we'll get more college ball games yeah gotta be done <laughs> uh chris really appreciate the time man we'll do it again soon of course, my pleasure. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring out, we're talking fantasy football. That's right. Fantasy football. Not necessarily who you're, who's on your specific team. We don't necessarily need to get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but specifically the subject of it. Because I think it's it's changed, at least I, I for personally for me more more now as an adult, it's changed how I feel about it over the course of the last I don't know sixteen seventeen years since I've been doing it. Will, how many leagues are you in? I'm only in one. Uh, we take it super duper seriously. Uh, it's my one I've had for like a long time since like 2014. I want to say it's all my buddies. Uh, we have like a pretty solid cast. I think we've kept like ten to twelve about every year. Um, but yeah, I, I've noticed with fantasy, like I used to take it so seriously dog like we talk about that guy i was that guy for a minute and then as i kind of got older got more responsibilities i was just like i don't want to fight with y'all about this yeah it's like we don't need to care this much about half point ppr we really don't we don't need to get in shouting matches over this and if you're a league manager too like i am it's like people will come to you as if you're like some type of a like a like a like an emperor and they're like yeah but like this was counted as i'm like dude okay like we'll just wait see what it counts as tomorrow and then go from there do you do keeper or uh, redraft? Uh, we have one keeper. Uh, mine is actually Derrick Henry this year, so that'll be fun. I've heard of him. He's pretty good, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's one of the Bama guys I believed in from like day one. It paid <laughs> off, buddy. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm not really that into to the NFL right now, I, I, but I do really enjoy fantasy football. I, I'm in two leagues. One is a 10-team family league that we've been doing since 2018. My brother organizes it. Not to brag, my household won three of the four titles so far. Mm-hmm. The last two being from Lauren, of course. <laughs> she doesn't want to. She doesn't want to call it a dynasty. She <laughs> says you got a three beat for it to truly be a dynasty. 
Mm-hmm. She's she is the research the day of the draft person while also knowing kind of just a general outline of the way that she wants things to go. She's like she's going to be the person that's grab a, that's going to grab a quarterback before I will, or she's going to mm-hmm. be the person that says, "No, my 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 tight end being you know a streamer is not good enough." She she's she's very serious about those specific philosophies, mm-hmm. and you know she so will somehow end up with five picks that are just incredible. Like last year getting Cooper cup and, and Jamar chase was very beneficial. Oh boy. Yeah. They had Sayadar at that point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, that, that's nasty. It was, it was a very dominant season, but family league is fun because my brother, sister-in-law, uh, then some cousins, my aunt Jean, a couple of uncles are all in it. $20 buy-in, not super serious, little trash talk, most of us aren't sitting there on the waiver wire freaking out. Maybe one or two people that are, they don't need to be named. They know who they are, but I, I treat that league incredibly different than the keeper league that I've been in for the last 10 years that I've been running. Very, mm-hmm. very different. We, we basically had the same nine guys and then one kind of one rotating spot. And, and I say that loosely, we, we've had probably about three or four different people uh, in that specific spot since we started this back in 2013. I, I love this. If, if you're one of those people that's listening to me saying, Oh, keeper league, I, I don't need that in my life. Maybe you don't. I think the strategy of it is awesome. And I, I absolutely love it. Like I, I think that getting to be able to decide at the trade deadline, if you're a buyer or seller is so mm-hmm. much fun. And then it's sometimes actually more fun to be a seller when you're out of it. And then you oh, get yeah. to make all these moves and you get all this draft capital for next year's budget and stuff. Even this year, I'm down, I think 40 bucks going into the draft with a $200 draft budget. I went all in at the deadline last year, just had a bad <laughs> week in the semifinals. It happens, mm-hmm. you know, but I like going all in. And as someone who loves the college game, I'm all about kind of finding those like year one, year two guys. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the only place where I really have an advantage on my buddies is that I'll know that I'll know like the second or third rounders who I, I'm going to, I'm going to go all in for it. Like when Michael Thomas and Justin Jefferson are wildly underdrafted and somehow not one of the first couple of receivers off the board, I'm like, I will draft them as a rookie and then I will reap the benefits off them for four years. Mm-hmm. And it always, always works out. But yeah, $200 budget for the draft auction draft, super intense auctions in general, not just with fantasy sports. They're awesome. <laughs> they're <laughs> the pro auction. Yeah, it's chaos. You're right. Dude, I talked about the art auction that we go to mm-hmm. every single year at, uh, at Wakaiva Island, Lawrence, one of Lawrence clients. It's so much fun, man. I absolutely love it. We have a lot of fun with, with the auction in, in our fantasy league, though. $100 buy-in, which money's kind of an afterthought at this point. It's, it's not really the most important thing. A max of four keepers, and you can only have a guy on your roster for four years. So it's essentially like a contract in the state of Mississippi. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, the yeah. Mississippi League. Yes, yes. Uh, but I always say, if you have a fr- if you have a group of friends who gets really into it, uh, the keeper league is the way to go. Because while I love my family league, it does kind of suck that they're always like the one or two people who check out by midseason and they're an automatic mm-hmm. win for somebody. Don't be that person. That oh yeah, person it's sucks. so easy in football, dude. It really is. Like you just have to try once a week. Like baseball and basketball is like if you have a bad fantasy baseball or fa- a bad fantasy oh. basketball team, it's grueling because every day you're just watching your team lose, and you're like, I'm gonna just sit for the week and and not care. But this, like, when you see someone just like starting someone who's like on the IR in football, it's like, bro, this took 20 seconds. Come on. Yeah, we we, we can 
we can understand when we have seven people on by. You have a full week to be able to figure this out. That's what I always say. I hate the very few instances in which I've had to text somebody post trade deadline who like forgets to check their team because they're out of it. They just made all these moves to get draft capital. And I have to say to them like, Hey, check your lineup because some of us are comp- competing for a playoff spot here. Okay. We need, <laughs> we need to make sure that we're all on the same page. It's, it's like, it's like a bad dude move, but also like a good dude move. If you're like texting someone, cause I feel like we've all done this. It's like, okay, I'm in second place. And this guy who doesn't care is playing someone in first yes. place. So yes. I gotta like hit them up early with be, Hey bro, you might just want to check this guy in your lineup. Like he might just not play this week. Oh, thanks bro. It's like, is that collusion a little bit, but at the same no. time, it's like, just set your league, bro. Like we're all, I'm doing you a favor. There's, there is nothing wrong with that in my opinion. Now, if I was the only person that had access to phone numbers in my league, because I'm, you know, I've got people from all over the place that are in this league from all different points in my life. Yeah. So, but if I, but I share, I share everybody's number at the beginning of the year. I make sure that everybody has it going into the year. There are multiple documents with everybody's phone <laughs> number. I'm that organized person. I, do, I write an entire manifesto going into the year. That's like 3000 words, just like making fun of the past year. Mm-hmm. That was, I, know. <laughs> I go all in with it. I really do. I, I, I dig into to some random stuff just because I think that, I think that kind of matters and it's the continuity. And when you're a, guy and you are really bad about communicating with people that you don't live in the same time zone as mm-hmm. fantasy football is a great way to still kind of keep you connected, semi-competitive. That's something that people just generally like doing. So a uh, lot of responses in the Facebook group. Thank you to everybody who submitted responses Saturday on South podcast on Facebook. Let's start with, let's actually start in reverse order this time. Let's start with Jonathan Mason. Jonathan says, I'm in a 12 man league and oh, wow, no women. Kind of sexist. Um, <laughs> by the way, I realized that we did suits and fantasy football back to back. And for the, for the female listeners of this podcast, I am thinking of you. And that's why I made sure to note. Listen, his Lauren, wife beats him in fantasy football every year. Like this a drum, is, Fantasy man. football is, is a, it's gender. It's gender neutral. Exactly. Exactly. Jonathan says, I'm in a 12-man league, and one of the highlights of the year is our live draft. Everyone brings food, and we eat potluck style for the entire draft. It puts the menu of any Super Bowl party I've ever been to to shame. We get a draft board and have players' name stickers that we go post when it's our pick. It's always a blast. And one of the few times we can all get together at the same time the season is fun too and we've got a group chat that is usually fire three fire emojis by the way but mm-hmm. draft day takes it to the next level that is awesome love that, that sounds like a blast that's just being able to to all be in the same place for a fantasy league is, is hard man mm-hmm. we've we floated out the idea two years ago of like year 10 let's do it in vegas and then i'm realizing now that we're in year 10 i'm like Oh my God. If I had to get all these people <laughs> to one place, that would take yeah. so much planning going to. So do not take that for granted. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'm very jealous of Jonathan. Let's go to, uh, let's go to this one from Andrew Diacomo. Andrew says, I used to play more regularly, but now that everyone is older and married and or has families, it's tough to get everyone to grant a day slash time for the draft. Guys can't put the proper time in, et cetera. One uh, league, that guy was a guy who always had some kind of a phallic pun in the name. Thank you for um, keeping that PG, by the way, Andrew. Scientific. 
yeah, usually I have to do that on the fly. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then would, he would make uh, like 100 roster moves per week, propose ridiculous trades, trash talk whoever he was playing all week leading up to the games, and then finish dead last every year. <laughs> I kind of respect that. <laughs> Another that guy is a close friend of mine who would draft two or three guys from the same team and then forget to change his lineup during said team's bye week. It was always the week the rest of the league needed him to beat the guy in first place, and he would have if he changed his lineup. Not really a bust, but I drafted Brady the year he got hurt as in the first game of the year and missed the whole year. Uh, I had To the season after the Eagles made the made the Super Bowl uh, when he went crazy and was doing crunches <laughs> on his front yard. My sleeper pick every year was always a dual threat running back: Westbrook, Sproles, Bush. Mm-hmm. That guy, give me the first guy over the second guy, one hundred times out of one hundred. Mm-hmm. That guy kind of sucks, but he kind of makes the thing go. He does. And <laughs> look, there is nothing more annoying than looking down at my phone after a day of work and realizing that my cousin Pat sent me three different two for one trade proposals that I have to reject. <laughs> I oh, hate it. Yes, I do. I do. But I love Pat to death. And I love the fact that he cares because if he didn't care and if he was just like my uncle who accidentally dropped Kyle Pitts last year and we had to say to him, Hey, you didn't mean to do that, did you? He's like, oh, crap. No, I didn't. I dropped the wrong guy. <laughs> that, that's a little bit tougher to deal with. I love my Uncle Ray, but I'm just saying it's a little bit easier to be able to form a league around guys who act the way that Pat does as opposed to the, the way that Ray does. And for what it's worth, Ray actually feels a pretty good team. So I'm just saying everybody's got, a, got their own way of doing things in fantasy sports. The guy that I had in mind, very similar type of guy, uh, my buddy, Chris, who it's like a Smokey and the bandit versus the cops relationship between me and him every year in fantasy. Like he will find some new edge that no one is thinking about. Like he'll be like, our league is super funny. Um, like, so we, not to like get all the way into it, but it's like just a slightly more extreme version of fantasy. Like uh, missed field goals is like super detrimental. Like it could be up to like, oh, my, wow. yeah. Like, so if you miss like a 20 yard field goal, Oh, we missing, do the same actually. Come yeah. You, but yeah. you're, it's like you you lose a point for an extra point for everything that you're for every kick that you miss and then based on the distance so if you yeah, miss like same. a 20 yard field goal okay i've actually never seen anyone do that that's cool but anyway yeah if you miss like a 20 yard field goal it, it could be minus like six points just depending on how it shakes out so he would draft like a kicker really high he would like do all this wild stuff but same <laughs> same type of guy like he would have a hundred we would like go and like change the amount of moves you could make because he would make 200 moves and the next closest guy would make 20 <laughs> and then like trades he would like you like uh, one time he had like a like a three team trade. I was like, you can't do this. And he's like, show me where it says I can't do this. I was like, it doesn't, but just don't do this. And like every year, like it's like it's like a just little like handshake. It's like, how are you going to get the best of us this year, Chris? Yeah, there uh, that, but that person makes it kind of interesting. I'll, oh, hundred percent. And he'll always end up with like some sleeper that you've never heard of. It's always a tight end or a yes. running back that he's been following forever, and you're like, this guy's like fifth in rushing, like the guy from uh ul last year that was on the niners i think he had him i was like where did you find this guy <laughs> yeah yeah those those people are are diehard and they have like 20 teams which is just mm-hmm. insane to me matthew sadro speaking of 20 teams matthew says i'm in five to seven leagues a year and a few of them are dynasty leagues i'm not sure exactly what you mean by that guy but i imagine it's me i put an embarrassing amount of effort into fantasy football every year but winning is winning when it gets to that many teams you just own everybody in the league. Yep. You have everybody. Every touchdown is is good. Or maybe it's also not because you're also against that person. I am a 
one bracket of integrity person when it comes to March Madness. I've been mm-hmm. very clear about that stance in the in the past. It's a little bit different as we talk about individual players. There's a little bit more wiggle room to have more of them. Five to seven's got to be a lot, man. You, you've got like four different logins you've got to remember probably. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. I have this guy in this league, but this guy, that, that's my brain can't process. I can barely process two. And I, I wasn't crazy about the idea of doing two, but we, when we added the family league, I was like, oh, you know what? I, mm-hmm. I like the group that we do it with. It's kind of fun. It's pretty, it's pretty low key. I couldn't do multiple dynasty leagues. That would just be too much. And also... If you have the time to devote to that, I love to know the time that it takes to be able to set your lineups, to be able to make waiver wire moves, to make trades, to do all those things, to keep everything sort of straight. Or do you just sort of wait five or six weeks into the season and then decide, well, I have three teams that are doing really well. So that's what I'm going to devote all my time and energy to. Yeah, it's uh, this is a very specific experience. Maybe people can't relate to this, but there will be watching a group like a game of NFL football with like three or four guys who are all in multiple leagues, and they're all just like having mixed emotions with every play. And I'm just yes. like, guys, we need to pick a narrative and stick with it. Do we yes. like Dalvin Cook today, or do we not? Because I can root for you guys with Dalvin Cook if I'm not playing him. I don't care. But you can't be like, oh well, you know that's not that bad because I'm in this other league. It's like you need to sell me a story that we can yes. all get on board for. I don't want to keep track of all your teams too. Yeah, I, I can't do that. It's yeah. I, I I try and draft the same guys in in both leagues. Right. I, I I would prefer to be able to do that instead of having like twenty five different you know different players that I got to be accountable for. I'm just going to be all in with Justin Jefferson every single year. That's the way to do it. Oh, listen, me too, buddy. Yeah. All right. Let's go to this one from. Let's go to this one from Nathan Kelly. Nathan says, I love playing fantasy football because it's a great way to keep old friends together. Going on year 12 of my league with my high school best friends and hopefully it continues until we're old guys. Also getting close to 10 years of my league with my college friends, best college friends. And I'm using this comment as a reminder to Scott Strauss to set our draft date because the season starts in a month. Uh, I've drafted some great busts. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good way to do it. Uh, that'll get his attention. I'm sure. Uh, I've drafted some great busts. I've had number one overall pick in the same league for three of the past four years. Oh, that's definitely collusion. And those picks were used on Le'Veon Bell in his holdout year. McCaffrey, the past two seasons injured for all but 10 of those games. Wow. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's tough. My brother kept getting first pick in our league. The first three years that we did it, the third, I think it was like the third time when it happened. And, and he, he, he sent a video to show the randomization of the draft process when you're doing like Yahoo or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's still like spit out his name. And he basically just did it until it wasn't him anymore because he didn't want us to continue to accuse him of collusion. Although, mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> That's what I do. I do the live stream on like Facebook or whatever, and it's electric attitudes, and I just like put everybody's name in, like hit the randomizer, and yeah, it's you're, it, there's nothing worse than like you said, get, getting the first pick and then having that guy like not pay off. Um, yeah, that's that's the worst. Then you actually have to wait like way longer to get your next guy. So that guy usually stinks. Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't know if I've had the first pick in a snake draft, and maybe since like fantasy baseball days back in high school. That might be mm-hmm. the last time, but because I've been we, when we do the auction, it's you know you want a guy, you go get him. But there is there is something very sweet about having your top target in an auction and realizing, all right, I want to spend 50, 65 bucks on him. I, I can go out and get him. And mm-hmm. that fist pump after an auction victory is, buddy, it's loud. 
<laughs> Laura knows within five seconds of me getting a big time auction pick of who it was. And usually, I mean, it's, you know, we're letting that out for Devonte Adams, you know, a few years ago, being able to, to go out. I mean, Adrian Peterson back in the day was, was a big one in like 2014 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then he got hurt three games into the year, massive bust. It's terrible, but those are fun to be able to win those victories. Uh, let's do, let's do one more here. Let's do one more. Uh, should we do? Yeah, let's do this one from, from Michael Dark. Michael says, I usually keep it to the one league I've been in since college. We have a relatively small buy-in and I'm the guy that makes 100 moves each season, which usually results in a championship. Two of the last three and three of the last five. Not that he's keeping track. I very rarely bring it up in conversation because the school secretary doesn't give a damn about how Lamar Jackson was inconsistent last season and almost cost me a championship. Being a homer, I usually have a couple of lions because nobody thinks about them. My best year was when I doubled down and had Stafford and Megatron when Calvin almost broke 2,000 yards. Oh my gosh, that must have been magical. Yeah. Talking to other people about your fantasy team, I realize even as we talk about it here and nobody cares that I will draft Justin Jefferson every year no matter what. Um, Nobody. People care even less than you think they care. Even less. Yeah, Always. you almost got to like related to people, but yeah, uh, Michael Dark, of course, is like like what's the D and D thing? Like my buddy Chris is the chaotic evil. Michael Dark is the chaotic <laughs> good. He's like, oh, I understand that what I'm doing is wild, but it works for me, and I enjoy yes. it. But I'm not going to just talk your ear off about it. Um, I'll say too on uh, the Lions tip, I had. DJ Chark as a rookie. It was pretty funny because that was the year that uh, Nicole Hardman came out. And I was like, this guy's going to be really good. He wasn't. Uh, But Chark was a guy obviously played at LSU. I got him towards the end of the draft when he was on the Jags. He's now a lion, obviously. But I was like so fired up about him. So I was like, oh my gosh, like nobody watched this guy because he was in this horrible Les Miles offense. And like, that's always nice when you have a guy you have a personal connection to. Probably I'm sure you've had like some Bears guys like that. that You're like, nobody's watching. Never? You don't draft Bears? No, No, because I'm in a league with a bunch of Chicago buddies. Mm. So I don't want to overpay for them and then what's fair so what always ends up happening is the big 10 whatever the big whoever the big 10 stud is like jonathan taylor his rookie year um if if there is a like kenneth walker is going to go for way too high in our draft this year up north over is that's awesome oh god dude saquon barkley that first year i can't remember how much i paid for him but it was a lot it was really Mm -hmm. steep and like that's that's just the way that that my buddies work because they're more they're a little bit more big 10 focused they're not sitting there on a a full college football saturday and watching games from coast to coast yeah If, if they hear about you obviously it's a little bit of a different story but with those younger guys yeah if there's a stud big 10 player coming through the ranks uh they're they're gonna get the love and especially with those bears i i don't remember the last time i drafted a bear it's been a very long time i, I had uh i had michael thomas for ppr in his opoi season and oh, my, my and my logo was like thomas the tank engine with coach o's face on it <laughs> it was like the o trade or something <laughs> I, was like, I was having the best time i won the championship that year of course because it was like he had like you know a billion targets it was so fun i love that when like it lines up like michael dark was talking about very rarely happens though. Very, very rarely where you get like a guy that you really all in with like Saquon winning me a title in 2018. The only title I've ever won in this league was, was a lot of fun just because it's like, all right, that's the guy that I just absolutely loved watching in college. Mm-hmm. He's going to be one of my guys moving forward. Um, but yeah, I, I look forward to, to our draft this year and overthinking the crap out of it and probably finishing in fourth place again. That's 
That's how it's going to go. That's how it always At least there will be a championship in your household, though. So, Oh, yeah, of course. Obviously, Lauren's <laughs> going to make it three in a row. Who are we kidding? That's mm-hmm. set, set in stone. Lad of the week. Um, I got one. I got one for you. And by now, mm-hmm. everybody has probably seen both of our lads of the week, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the Little League clip that went viral. If you haven't seen this, you could probably just Google Little League and this will come up. It's that popular right now. Kid gets drilled in the head picture the the pitcher is really shook up by it the kid who got drilled is at first base he runs over to the mound to console the pitcher look i remember my little league experience i would never have had the maturity to recognize somebody else's feelings in that moment <laughs> i just wouldn't have i would have mm-hmm. been more likely to charge the mound than to go give the pitcher a hug okay i can say that about myself mm-hmm. uh the kid who uh, who got hit went on CNN. Uh, Isaiah Jarvis is the kid's name. He went on CNN and here was what he said as a 12 year old in a national TV interview. I wanted to go over there and spread God's love and make sure that he's okay and make sure he knows that I'm okay and that it'll be okay. Oh, I don't care what faith you practice. Seeing grace like that was a total dude's rock moment that I 12 year old Connor would not have been able to relate to. Hey, look, we're not just coaching athletes here. We're raising young men, okay? We want solid young men in our program. In our program. That's bro. the last. All right. I, I, we're, I'm, I'll never do the Southern accent again. Wait, that's, okay. That doesn't count. Listen, I've, I've been called a carpetbagger, but I can do the bad Southern accent because lots of my family sounds like that. Anyway, uh, my lad of the week, I know this was last week, but we didn't get to get to it. Um, Vin Scully, um, he's a guy that, you know, as a dude from Louisiana, uh, he brought a level of appreciation for baseball that I had no, like, I had no connection to him. I was not a Dodgers fan, but I, I remember a very specific experience for me being in college, you know, coming back from the college bars or whatever, and there would always be a Dodger game on. It would always be, you know, midway through it, you know what I'm saying? Because it would be a little bit later in the night. And uh, do you know Pedro Baez? The, Pedro the, Baez, no. So he it was a pitcher for the Dodgers that was like the slowest working pitcher of all time. And it was like being coming home from a bar and watching Pedro Baez pitch was like being stuck in the twilight zone because you were like, <laughs> am I? <laughs> Am I fine? Is this going okay? He's like why they put in the pitch clock. He was like a middle reliever for the Dodgers. That's Steve and, Traxel back in the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very simple. Yeah. So like his whole thing was he would just win a war of attrition and I would just get on. I'd be like, sweet. Baez is on. Vince Scully is calling the game. And he had so much time to fill when this guy was on the mound. I just had this little, this, this like memory of him just telling all these stories, you know, every five minutes between pitches, I would just get to hear him fill all this air. And it was so cool. Um, and obviously it was like watching a game with, you know, your, your grandpa, your dad or whatever so um he is one of the best at what he does to ever do it in any profession um like i said i'm not a huge baseball guy you know we barely talk baseball in here but um you know with the dodgers world series it was super cool you know i'm not a big la lover or anything obviously but that was super cool for him to watch uh, another world series for the dodgers you know have that whole career so uh just just an awesome dude uh, just a lad of a lifetime and Obviously, you know, thoughts out, thoughts and prayers to his family, but just had a positive difference. And that's how you want to be remembered, um, you know, when it's your time. The sound of baseball, man. Mm-hmm. Just uh, an iconic voice. First baseball game I ever owned on PlayStation, MLB 98, 99, whatever it was. Kyle Repka was on the cover of it. Mm-hmm. Vin, Vin Scully was, was the voice of the video game at like probably at the time, what was he? 70 like mid early to mid 70s he still mm-hmm. would have been yeah to be that good at your job i mean thinking about like the voices that they have now it's you know gus johnson or something like that and it's like somebody that's got like all this energy and it's got to be over the top and 
Vince Scully is just an icon, man. Yeah. I'll, I'll never not think of that video game though when hearing his voice, which I realize is the wrong way to interpret, you know, one of the great sports announcers that we've, we've ever been able to have across any sport, but yes, a worthy choice for lad of the week. If you have not leave us a five-star review, Again, as I said the last few times here, we don't load you up with ads. So if you could do that for us, we'd really, really appreciate it. That's your good deed for the day. We've got a great interview coming up next week with Van Lathan. Might have to, uh, might not have the kids in the car for that one. I want to put the headphones in at work if you're listening to that. Um, but a lot of fun that we were able to have with him. So be on the lookout for that. Join the Facebook group here named Red On Air with Figuring It Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.